0: Hey guys, this is Gutsy Media Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and as always, thank you for listening. My guest today is Lauren Mueller. She picked 2018 science fiction adventure Ready Player One, starring Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook. Today's show is brought to you by Ridley's Gaming Realm, your one-stop shop for all things retro and off-the-page travel, the no-fee, no-hassle travel agency, so big thank you to them. And now, without further ado on with the show so as always i like to start the show by saying thank you so much for sitting down with me very excited to talk about this
1: yeah i expect my paycheck um as soon as we wrap
0: (laughs) it's in the mail it's in the mail uh you know the post office is so you <laughs> yeah. you picked uh, 2018's Ready Player One starring Ty Sheridan, uh, famous for Mud and X Men Apocalypse, Ben Mendel Mendelssohn from Mendelsohn from Rogue One, yeah, Rogue One Star Wars story and Dark Knight Rises, and then Olivia Cook. Oh, from time out,
1: time out. Ben Mendelssohn is also um ta- t- uh, ta- what the heck's his name um from. Captain America, nope, Captain Marvel, I'm so prepared for this. Wow Captain
0: Oh, that's right. He plays uh Halo. the Cree. yeah, that's right, yeah well, he's in makeup, so it's hard who's to talking, recognize him.
1: talked about him before um that's the well,
0: only reason I said that. yeah, he's in tons of movies he's a very, very well known actor. in fact, I would even say usually my my claim to fame here is uh you'd recognize his face but probably not his name, but in this case, yeah. i think I think he's well known enough where you know um some of the listeners might actually recognize his name. Um, and then obviously, uh, Olivia Cook, uh, who is not really famous for anything else. She was in Sound yeah. of Metal and uh, Bates Motel TV series. So Which this I is didn't really. Watch. I've heard it's I, good, but. Yeah, I didn't watch it either. But this is really her claim to fame as Ready Player One. Yep. So let's, um, let's go into a little bit of detail. Why did you pick this movie? What is it about the movie you love?
1: So even before we do that, uh, you didn't mention Ben Mendelssohn's claim to fame. He was in Killing Them Softly.
0: Oh, he that's right. <laughs> that's right, which is, yeah, oh, my God. So that was, uh, uh, long-time <laughs> listeners may remember that was a show or a movie that me and Lauren talked about in season one. I believe that was, like, an early episode, too.
1: Yeah, that's that's why I said we've talked about him in the past. So I had to tie that in there.
0: Yeah, I forgot about that. He actually played a really good role in that. He was the uh, one of the druggies, one mm-hmm. of the, the robbers. Super and I,
1: sweaty Russell. Yeah.
0: And if I remember right, those are the two characters that we both liked the most about the movie, <laughs> Was were those two guys.
1: Yeah, there you go. But anyways, so uh, Ready Player One. Um, I know you and I have known each other forever, and one of the hardest things for me to one of the hardest questions for me to ever answer to somebody is, Hey, what's your favorite movie? Like, it's one of those things that I'm like too much pressure. I can't deal with this help. I need, I need help. (laughs) Um, But I would have to say that this is probably on one of my top five lists. Um, I very much enjoy this movie for, um, I think I'm glad I saw this movie in theaters. Um, Just the big screen, the sound system. It was a beautiful movie to watch. Um, and maybe not beautiful in the sense of like an avatar or something like that, but it was just so cool to watch. And I mean, you're going to get into the premise of the movie, I'm sure in a little bit, but uh, a lot of this movie takes place in, um, virtual reality, um, called the Oasis. So, I mean, a lot of stuff is computer generated and it's just these crazy out there planets and worlds and visual yeah it's just a very visual movie so um i really really like that aspect and this movie is just pop culture reference upon pop culture reference upon pop culture reference and i love that um there's there's some big battle scenes that you see like master chief running around with the The Ninja Turtles, or like characters from Overwatch, or you name you name it. Marvin the Martian runs by at one point in time. Like you name a character, they're randomly in the background of this movie. So um, I thought that was really cool. Um, It's based off of a book, um, which after seeing the movie and loving the movie so much, I did partake in the book as well. And that is just. Do you think there's a lot of pulp? pop culture in the movie it the book is just tenfold so uh yeah i think i think that's really what drew me to this and i mean it's it's all about a world that is it's supposed to be a futuristic world it's supposed to be set in 2045 i believe is the um the date and um it's very much what happens when the world becomes too dependent on video games um that that is just a very very general idea but um among our friend group i have been referred to as the one who who dives into video games the most so that was kind of intriguing to me but yeah Yeah,
0: you're definitely my video game point of contact if ever i need one or or lifeline um but yeah, like so, like you mentioned, it's based on uh, Ready Player Won the Book by Ernest Cline, uh, who actually had a lot to do with the movie as well, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a second. Uh, I did want to touch on one thing before we go any further. So you said one of the reasons why you love the movie so much is the visual effects. Um, mm-hmm. The, the movie is actually nominated for tons of awards for visual effects, including uh, the Best Visual Effects uh, at the Academy Awards, but Best Special Effects at the Saturn Awards, uh, Best Visual Effects at the Satellite Awards, in fact, there's a Visual Effects Societies Award, in which case it was nominated and won for Outstanding Created Environment and Outstanding Visual Cinematography. Um, it does not win at the Academy Awards, and I'm actually kind of curious to find out who beat it for visual effects.
1: Yeah, I don't think it won, and I can't remember who did it, or who, yeah, who beat them.
0: I have to so best visual effects ready player 1 the winner was first man which I've I never know. heard of but if that
1: <laughs>
0: if that, that beat that beat ready player 1 solo and avengers infinity wars so whatever movie that is I definitely got to check effect? that out cuz wow. that's crazy okay. yeah um right. but but yeah, the 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 movie is chock full of references to pop culture and really anything that came before it, especially uh, in the 80s and 90s. And again, we'll get into a little more detail as to why that is. So we won't be able to cover all the references because, I mean, if you do any quick YouTube search and see all the Easter eggs from Ready Player One, it's you know in the hundreds. It's unbelievable. Um, but what I did want to ask you, and I did not prepare you ahead of time for this, so feel free to take um, some time to think about it. What is your favorite reference in the entire movie? And while you think of it, I'll tell you mine. There is a scene where they're doing a race through Manhattan. And Mm -hmm. uh, the segment uh, bears a marquee with the name Jack Slater on it, which is a reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger's character from Last Action Hero.
1: I've never seen that movie.
0: Last Action Hero. I also
1: totally missed missed that marquee.
0: Yeah, it's it's a quick uh, in the background shot it was actually snuck in by the visual effects team. Last Action Hero is um one of the first screenplays written by Zach Penn, who also did the screenplay for this movie along with Ernest Cline, who is the writer of the novel. Right. So, that I thought that was pretty cool. Nice nice homage to the uh the screenwriter. The other thing I liked um in doing my research here, or I shouldn't say like I was pretty surprised about is Warner Brothers actually bought the rights to this in an auction before the book was even published which i can't imagine that's a normal thing to do i have n- i've never heard i've heard of studios buying the rights to books before publication and i think we have actually talked about a few in the past um like the sisters brothers is a prime example uh, those are our, our season one finale but i never i never heard of it happening in an auction so i wonder if that's the norm and we just don't know about it
1: what year was the book written do you happen to have that written somewhere
0: uh it like uh, two thousand seventeen, two thousand sixteen. I was gonna it say
1: it wasn't it wasn't that long ago. The book I mean the movie came out in twenty eighteen and the reason I ask is I mean the sequel came out last this past November. Oh,
0: two thousand eleven. Uh, the book was written in twenty
1: eleven. Still, I mean that's not nine years for a book to movie gap isn't isn't unheard of. That's not terrible. And, oh no, it's, uh, it's
0: less than that. So this movie came out in 2018. So it takes only seven years from from book to movie. Okay,
1: all right, all right. Go math. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you you keep using the word or the phrase Easter egg, and I think that's so fitting because I mean, I keep refer, I keep saying it has all of these pop culture references, but really, this movie is all about Easter eggs. Well, Literally, the movie's base is you're trying he like all of the people in the movie are trying to find these keys for the end goal of winning this easter egg which is literally so that's a
0: that's a good point though i mean is there a difference between a reference and an Easter egg? I mean, so growing up, I, I grew up in the 90s. Super Nintendo was at the height of, of gaming at that time, Sega Genesis. I mean, we really had the console wars before the the two the two primary of Xbox and PlayStation. And in those days, an Easter egg was more a hidden, hidden
1: reference.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was, it was yeah. usually a, a hidden reference to either some other game or some other part of the story. Um, But the the key word there was hidden. You had to find it. It was a thing that wasn't glaring out at you. When it comes to this movie, there is a lot of references, blatant, in-your-face references to pop culture. But, I I mean, the Easter eggs, while still there and still abundant, I I don't think everything in the movie falls into the Easter egg category. What are are your thoughts on that?
1: I I agree with you. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that are done... In this movie, like, I've seen this movie many, many times, and each time I watch it, there's another thing that I'm like, oh, like another character in the background. Like, oh, hey, there's that person. Or, like you just said, that marquee. I haven't seen that. So I guess I don't know what the... I like the the definition, or not the definition, but, like, the distinguishing... In your face is more reference, and the hidden gems are the Easter egg. But I don't really know. Like there are some that is that marquee an Easter egg because it's not necessarily in your face; it's kind of off in the background. What would you con? What would you consider that?
0: That's that's but an Easter reference.
1: distinguishing an Easter reference? Okay,
0: that's that, that's that gray area that Easter reference <laughs> right there. Gotcha. Um, right. So before we get
1: my favorite, I, I think. I oh yeah, remember. that's
0: right. Yeah, yeah. What's your What's your favorite?
1: Um. So there at one point in time, there is uh, one of the characters is using the Iron Giant as kind of like their uh, avatar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to spoil things right off the bat here, but um, it falls into some lava and all you see is the hand that creates the thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. Big fan of that.
0: That's the the reference to, yeah, Terminator reference, which is a great, Terminator 2 specifically.
1: Yes, excuse me, yes.
0: Yeah, Judgment Um, Day, which is definitely the best of the five or six there is now?
1: 87 and a half.
0: (laughs) I heard they're, supposedly they're rebooting the franchise.
1: So I really want to go back and watch the main three again, um, because I want to see the newest one.
0: So, so you got Terminator, Terminator Judgment Day, then, then I forgot the third one's name.
1: I oh, know I'm Jay.
0: <laughs> but then it goes into like Genesis, so and then it's you know, I think it's Terminator Two: Rise of the Machines, and then Terminator Seven: uh, Freddy's Revenge. Uh, there's the Dream That's... Warriors. Yeah, Crystal wait, Lake.
1: Then is it? Is it Crystal Lake. <laughs>
0: Okay. There's some crossovers at the end there. The
1: uh the newest one brings back Sarah Connor, brings back
0: um Yeah, what's her face? So this is this is one of the things that Hollywood seems to be doing a lot now, which is I'm I don't I can't tell if I'm for it or against it, which is you have a franchise such as Terminator, such as Halloween, where Mm -hmm. they put out a couple good movies in the beginning usually the first, second, maybe the third one. Then they go on this run of three, anywhere from three to eight horrible movies that totally destroy the franchise and piss all over the fans. Yeah, Yeah. and then they go, actually, never mind. We're going to ignore all the bad ones, and we're going to put out another movie, but it's going to take place after the second one. And that's, I think that's what they did here with this one, is it takes place after Judgment Day, and they basically ignore everything after that. And again, as a fan, I'm kind of like, okay, cool. You know, I'll I'll play ignorant and ignore all that stuff. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, I mean, there's some aspects of those movies where you develop the lore a little bit. And I kind of like those. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm for it or against it.
1: I have a really hard time because I guess it's going to depend on the movie, which I don't know how I can be that biased. but. Some movies, uh, even if we don't podcast or stuff like that, I still do deep dives into some of these movies, even if they're terrible movies. So for me, ignoring all of that information, like you said, like if it's going to develop the lore a little bit more or something like that, even if the movie itself wasn't that great, you've expanded that universe for me. And I've put in the time and research in that in my mind as well. Um, So there are some things that I can't ignore. And how do you keep that cannon rolling and right. how do you keep it in line? And that just gets messy and tricky. And I know I could do it because really, I, I mean, we've talked about movies that I enjoy that other people don't enjoy. And I can admit that they're not necessarily good movies. So right. I, I mean,
0: <laughs> as a fan, I, I want to ignore these too, but <laughs> I, I still feel like I could slap in the face by doing so. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah so i mean I, so, I definitely i know what you're talking about like th- this is definitely becoming a new thing um and it's i think you're getting i think this is hollywood's way of bringing out the nostalgia because you are you're we're wow. in a time frame of reboots and spin-offs and mm-hmm. everything like that and i mean let we me like about it podcast yeah like we've talked about it on other podcasts disney plus and all all that good stuff but if you bring back original cast after having the original two movies three movies whatever and then all these other ones that have random people you're bringing back in that nostalgia factor of oh these are the this this is the og like these are the originals i liked those ones
0: Mm
1: -hmm. maybe i'm gonna like this one because you know they put in the effort to bring them back so I, i don't know yeah. But like I said, I want to see the new one because it has <laughs> right, right. modern, So I want to see
0: what you're going to keep. Yeah. Not- <laughs> I want to see what you're going to keep and what you're going to try to, you know, push out of my mind. Um exactly. <laughs> but b- before we get into the plot, I want to go over a few of the key details about the movie. So the tagline of the movie is a better reality awaits. Cuz again, it is about this alternate reality, uh VR Oasis that everybody kind of lives in. The movie's released on March eleventh, two thousand eighteen. Um, originally, it was set to release, and I have it in my notes here somewhere. Uh, originally set to release on December fifteenth, two thousand seventeen, but was delayed because they didn't want it to go up against Star Wars: The Last Jedi. So That's smart giant. move on their yeah, smart move on their behalf. Yeah. Um, the official rating of the movie is PG thirteen. The official runtime of the movie. Two hours and twenty minutes. Oh my god! But so I,
1: that way to you,
0: a hundred percent. Every I it's felt like, every single damn minute of this movie. So oh, again, are really
1: you into Bob? Didn't like this movie. <laughs> we'll
0: we'll, oh. we'll we'll cover that a little bit later. I'm sure there'll be hints <laughs> of it uh, throughout the show. But uh, I, mean, I mean, I've talked no. about it before. To me, a, a perfect movie is around an hour and forty five. Uh, I don't mind if you stretch in the 2 hour range, but you better make it worth it. And if you're going under an hour and a half, then don't call it a movie, call it a a freaking Netflix special or something. Right. Um, but 220, man, that's that's a little it's a little rough. Again, for me, that's got to correlate to a payoff. There you better be giving me some good content for that extra time because my time is valuable, man. My time is valuable. <laughs> Uh budget for the movie is anywhere between 155 and 175 million, depending on what website you go to. But either way it doesn't matter because the box office hits officially five hundred and eighty-two point nine million dollars. So even on the high end, it did, okay. it did about four <laughs> times its budget, which is insane. So we've talked about it before again on the podcast, is typically you got a successful movie when the movie's doing about double its budget. Um, obviously, the higher the budget you go, the, the harder that is to achieve. So when you're hitting a movie that's you know 175 million to make, it's it's you've got to expect it to put up some numbers. So while this is uh, 582, all all in all successful. I mean, obviously there's a sequel coming eventually. Warner Brothers pictures. Uh, I mean, I uh, yeah, at 582 million, definitely, definitely. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research. And maybe I'll throw that out next week on the social media about whether or not this has been greenlit or not, but um, I mean, director Steven Spielberg, and as we mentioned before, a screenplay is written by Zach Penn, who did uh, Last Action Hero," and Ernest Klein, who is the actual writer of the book. So let's dive into it. I mean, we are immediately presented with our main character, um, who is is played by Ty. Sturdine? Sturdin? Sheridan. 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 I don't know why I said Sturden. Uh Sheldon. I can't read right now. He is uh Wade. Uh and his avatar name is Parzival. Yep. And that is a play on what exactly?
1: Um Pars Parzival was the um didn't he find the Ark?
0: Yeah, he found the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, supposedly, in the... he was a knight
1: of the Round Table who found the Ark of the Covenant. I believe yeah. so. Par- Parzival, it's a. Um, if you read the book, um, it goes into the fact that Parzival, it, his avatar name is spelled incorrectly. It's spelled with a Z, um, and that is just because the correct spelling was already taken. So he spelled it with a Z because it was a little bit more creative and because he had to because he had no other choice. <laughs> So. he and he, some characters call him Z in the movie
0: to right. emphasize
1: that that Z is not supposed to be there.
0: I just assumed he did it with a Z because that's what all the cool kids do, right? You you throw a Z in there or a backwards E or something.
1: A three, like an Artemis.
0: Exactly. So uh Parzival, so he he gives us this little monologue in the beginning and kinda kinda gets us up to speed on what's happened in the world. Essentially, the world's more or less gone to shit. And uh, that's primarily because people have given up on it. This new uh, virtual reality world, known as the Oasis, has come out and has basically sucked everybody into it. Uh, and and that, that's where everybody's you know spending a prim- primary majority of their time. He makes some comment at the beginning about you leave the the Oasis to use the bathroom and and to eat and sleep. Eat. Yeah, other than that, you're in the Oasis all the time. And yeah. he lives in a trailer park, but because we're in the future and overpopulation, the trailer park has kind of grown vertically. So he's in these towers of like trailer on top of trailer crisscrossed. And uh, he has, this is like really cool scene where he's obviously he lives in a higher uh, end of the trailer. So as he's trying to get down, he's taking all these ropes and stairs and he's passing other people's windows who are all in the oasis. And he's saying hi to a neighbor who's watering her plant. And they have this shameless pizza hut, plug where you see a drone deliver a pizza to some guy um and then he goes into this little hidden corner that he's got you know buried deep into some you know van under some junk and he hops in the oasis and he tells us about he's got this friend h uh who whose avatar is this humongous muscular kind of half machine guy and despite the fact they've never met they are best friends And he goes, he also goes into some detail about the creator of the Oasis, who is a man by the name of Holiday.
1: James Holiday.
0: And James Holiday is a hardcore nerd, a computer guy. He's created the Oasis. It became big. And then he died. Uh, This happens about five years prior to the events of the movie. And when he died... He released this video telling everybody, I have hidden three keys in the Oasis. And whoever finds them and uses them to unlock the secret door to get my Easter egg will not only inherit my stocks in the Oasis, so essentially the controlling majority and be able to determine what happens with the Oasis moving forward, but also, you know, 10 bazillion, gajillion dollars.
1: Half a trillion dollars.
0: Half a trillion dollars. I mean, it just, it's like it's like that scene from Austin Powers where he's just like a billion, gajillion, you know, whatever. It's just an insane yeah. amount of money.
1: It just makes up a number.
0: And somebody, you know, shortly after the video is released, has figured out where the first key is. And they don't really go into detail about how that happened, who that person was but it's essentially a race. It's this, you know, kind of need for speed type race through the city of Manhattan. It's got all these crazy, you know, traps and, and, and saws and there's a, you know, King Kong and there's a T-Rex and very arcade ish, you know, type style, but nobody's ever gotten to the the finish line and therefore nobody's ever won the first key. And while everybody was trying to do this, when, when the announcement was, was originally made five years ago, because nobody's done it since, you know, it's become less and less popular. And really the only people that do it now are people like him and his buddy H, who they call egg hunters. Gunters. Gunters. Yeah. So which stands for egg hunters Correct. and sixes. So can you. Sixers. Can you go in, Sixers. Excuse me. Can you go in a little bit of detail about who the Sixers are?
1: Sure. Um, so the second largest company in the world at this point in time, um, is a company called IOI, Innovative Industry, or uh, shoot, Um, what does IOI stand for? Innovative something industries. Anyways, basically what they want to do is they want to win the contest, so they have the um, controlling shares of the Oasis, and they basically want to monetize it. They want to sell ad space, they want to take over and do all sorts of stuff like that. So Sixers, are basically employees of IOI who go into the Oasis with the sole, um, the, the sole goal of winning this contest for IOI. And they call them Sixers because instead of having a, uh, like a name for their avatar, it's actually their six-digit employee ID number, which they don't say in the movie and some people are confused about that. So it is is six they're called sixers because it's a six digit code that shows up above their heads.
0: And it also all of them start with 6, correct? Like the first digit in all of them is 6.
1: Um that may be true. That may be true. But it's, so, uh, it's their ID number is why they're the sixers, yeah.
0: Right. So th- this this whole sixer group is a, a, a division of IOI, and this division is mm-hmm. run by um, Mendelton or um, Excuse me.
1: Nolan Nolan Sorrento.
0: That's the character he plays, Mr. Sorrento, who is, for all intents and purposes, the DB head of the corporation. He is the you know the stereotypical bad guy bent on you know selling the world to the largest bidder. And he, for the record, uh, so. Uh, Holiday was originally supposed to be played by Michael Keaton. He was considered for the role. Uh, my okay. two cents when I heard that was Michael Keaton could have been a way better Sorrento. No, nothing, nothing against Ben. I like him in this role. He's very good in this role. and no, I have no issues with, with his, his acting style, but Michael Keaton as uh, Sorrento I think would have been awesome as well. Do you remember Conan on Nintendo? Oh, how about Earthworm Jim on 64? That was my jam. Do you wish you still had it? Or maybe you have it and you're looking to clean out your collection and make some extra cash. Luckily, either way, we have the answer for you. Ridley's Gaming Realm. It's a one-stop shop for great gaming discussion, as well as a place for retro buying, selling, and trading without all the fees and drama of the other selling sites. They pride themselves on having over a year of zero reported scams. And you can find them on Facebook. Just search Ridley's Gaming Realm. That's R-I-D-L-E-Y-S. Or click on the link in the show description. And make sure you tell them DFAT sent you. You know, me and my family just got back from our trip to Florida. We did a whole Disney thing and Universal, but it wasn't just that. There's hotels and rental cars and airfare and God forbid you drive. And with two small kids, the whole thing almost tore my family apart. (laughs) Next time my wife talks about a family trip, I'm talking about off-the-pages travel. Off-the-pages travel is a travel agent unlike any other. From before booking until after you return, they got you covered. And the services are free, no cost to the client. So make sure you check out Off the Pages Travel by following the link in the show description. And don't forget to tell them, DFAT sent you.
1: So, because I did read the book as well, um, I. Sorrento's supposed to be threatening and like menacing. Not like a super villainy type menacing, but just like powered by greed and would stop at nothing. And, I mean, there's a scene in the movie where Sorrento is getting into a van to go and chase down Wade, and he kind of passes by um, an IOI employee and he basically makes him give him his gun. And that's supposed to kind of show you his... (sighs) To me, in the movie, it showed inspiration. Whereas I wanted it to show me not not desperation but like his willingness to do anything, so like to me, I guess Mendelssohn kind of showed me, like I said, more desperation, whereas it was in the book I more got just the it was just that drive to do anything because that's that was just his end goal was I have to win this, I'm going to win it. And it wasn't out of desperation. It was just, that was his, like, that. that is all he would, I can't even. I mean,
0: I, I, I kind of like, got that sense from uh, the movie, Sorrento, in the movie. And as far as the just, menacing feature, I mean, so Sorrento's avatar, which we see a little later in the movie, and again, we'll talk about, he really is this humongous, like, evil looking businessman if you took arnold schwarzenegger at his peak and put a suit and tie on him and maybe some glowing red eyes you'd get Mm -hmm. sorrento's avatar which i thought was one of the better avatars in the movie in my opinion
1: yep but i was just more commenting on the fact that i think keaton probably could have played a more menacing oh for sure desperate for sure and again nothing against mendelssohn because i loved how he played the character, I just think that Keaton would have done it slightly different, which might have matched a little bit more of what I had pictured in my mind. But I, I had the ability of, um, I watched the movie first, so I mean, the whole time I'm listening because I didn't read the book, I listened to the book. Sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know how Dave much right you love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was already picturing these actors in these characters, so.
0: So I've got to ask. It's it's yeah. I've There's been a couple movies or books where I have read the book and watched the movie or watched the movie and read the book. Mm-hmm. I've found in my experience that typically whichever one I do first, because that kind of sets the image and locks it in and gives me the story, that when I go to, to watch or to read the other one, I find mm-hmm. it not as good.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: You thought the book was it's way better.
1: So much better.
0: And you're, so you're a huge fan of the movie.
1: Yes, so I, I still love the movie, but the book does so much more. So we got off topic a little bit, but we were talking about the first key, the first basically the first mission to get this first key
0: right
1: that it has not at all mentioned in the book anywhere that was totally just thrown in here for cinematic value because you're driving cars through all of these crazy scenes. Oh, it's That's a, the only different,
0: thing it's a different first mission?
1: Absolutely, totally different. So in the in the book, um, Wade is still in high school and he is broke beyond belief. Like he cannot get off of he he goes to school in the oasis. There's these school planets. So he cannot leave this planet. He gets there for free because it's part of schooling. He can't leave. Well, Halliday wanted a normal person to discover the keys and to eventually get the egg and everything so he hid his first key on one of these school planets that's how wade finds it is he ends up like wandering around and he does some research and stuff but it's a it's on his school planet so Hmm. totally different not a cinematic adventure at all it's he has to fight um i forget a, a uh Demi Lynch, that's what it was called. He had to fight a Demi Lynch. Uh, he had to beat it in joust.
0: so no. it is it is worth mentioning that Wade's character in the movie is portrayed as being poor, so there, there's a scene in the beginning where he goes to do this race, and apparently gas for your vehicle costs money as you go. So he looks at his little gas tank, doesn't have any doesn't have any gas. And makes a comment to his buddy h that he's got to go to the back of the race and, and h you know kind of jokes to him like oh you're gonna you're gonna pick up coins you know from people who get damned that, that's that's cold man and that's, that's sad and that's what happens throughout the race as people crash because that's an ongoing thing in the oasis if your avatar gets destroyed you have to respawn but you respawn with nothing you don't have any of your coin and your gear nothing so what Wade does is as the race is going and people are crashing, he is scooping up their coin, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog style yeah. during the race in order to fill his gas tank and keep going.
1: Yep. Yeah. This, so, I mean, they keep that in there, but it's more dramatic in the books. Like right. He, I
0: mean, and that, that's what I was going to say is, is Wade's, Wade's financial situation, while they do show that he's poor – does not at all seem debilitating to him in the movie like it's it's not really a big hang-up or plot point
1: no it is it's huge in the books and i mean i i could go through all of them for you i won't but each key then has its own individual gate which has another challenge in it basically so it's basically double the adventure whereas in the movie you do your challenge, you get your key. You do your next challenge, you get your second key. You get the Jade key. Then, then you do your last one, hey, here's the crystal key. No. In the movie, or excuse me, in the book, you find your key. But then once you get your key, you have to find the gate that that key goes to, which is its own individual challenge.
0: Yeah, that that was, thing that, that was something that kind of threw me off a little bit. Because at the end, when he gets the third key, and, and again, we'll get there. Um, but all three doors kind of just show up and then he unlocks them all at the same time. And I was kind of like, well, that, that's one gate. Stupid. Yeah, it seems like one yeah, gate. Yeah, in the movie just it's, it's one
1: gate. And that's very different, That, like I said, in the books, he individually goes into three different gates after sure. each individual um, like challenged or yeah, at, anytime he has to find a key there's a specific gate that goes to that key, which leads to another challenge. It's It's a book. So they have way more time. They have so, like, everything is, you have an unlimited budget. You can do whatever you want. So there's just so much more packed into this book. And, I mean, bringing it back to the fact that I I loved the book way more than I loved the movie. But I still loved the movie. There is just so many different things involved in the book that didn't make it to the movie. And the movie still Almost two and a
0: half hours long. Yeah, which is, which is oh. crazy. So, so Wade and H are, are doing this race in an effort to finally make it to the finish line and win the key. And he looks over and he sees an avatar he's never seen before. Uh, this this female avatar on a bike, and they exchange some words. And her name is Artemis, uh, spelt with a three instead right. of an an A or an E. I guess an E probably makes more sense. Um, uh, Ella Fanning was actually in the front running to play this role, but instead it goes to Olivia Cook. And our, uh, Wade saves her from the end, from from King Kong destroying the bike and killing her, and, and making her have to re, you know respawn with no money and no gear and everything. And he falls in love pretty much instantly. thinks she's super hot, and they're both really into uh holiday lore uh and finding this key so when the race happens again and they go back for another time this time wade has done a little bit more research and thinks he's solved this this riddle uh, of the race because he Ho- holiday has this museum i guess is an appropriate word to his life where he has yeah yeah, he's he's got all these recordings, um, these visual recordings of different times in his life, and
1: basically be- a it's it's a visual representation of all of his memories and his just what makes him him basically. Right. This library consists of yeah.
0: You could you could essentially sit down in this library and watch his life play out. In, like, a movie yep. format if you had, mm-hmm. you know, 700 hours to do that. And yeah, I he's...
1: mean, it's his life, so right. however many years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's, a, there's a movie, I forgot what the name of it is, um, with Robin Williams where it would just kind of, it, you get a chip implanted in your head when you're a child and it records your life. And then when you die, they take the chip out and they use the recordings to make essentially a, a video montage that they can give to your loved ones. And Robin Williams plays the guy who puts the montage together. And it really fucks him up because he sees – he's got to put together this montage for the family of how good this person was. But he sees them, like, committing crimes and cheating on their wives and just doing awful, awful stuff. But that's neither here nor there. This, this moment kind of reminded me of that because that's really – you're yeah. watching somebody's life. But anyway, so Wade goes to the, this museum and he manages to watch this clip. Where Holiday talks about going in reverse really fast because he, he doesn't wants to
1: go backwards really fast. Yeah, he but doesn't want to. the, wanna... the metal, Bill intended oh. it, so why can't we?
0: <laughs> That's the quote right there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it's
0: it's in reference to a business partner he had, where the business partner is basically telling him he's got to grow up, and he's like, I don't want to grow up. Like, I want to go back in time. I want to go back to when it was fun, and Wade's you know, the light bulb clicks. And he goes back to the race. He bumps into Artemis again. And when everybody else takes off, you know, when the green light says go, and goes forwards, he stops. And once everybody's out of the way, he throws the car in reverse and goes backwards as fast as he can. And it unlocks this secret portal. Long story short, he makes it to the end of the race and gets the first key. So this is another thing that bothered me. I wouldn't say bothered me, but this is another thing that I thought I, I assumed one key. He found the key. He's got the key. Yeah. But, in, but instead, because he's found the key, and a few, you know, he tells a friend, he tells H, H tells a few other people, a few other people tell a few other people, and before you know it, almost everybody's found this key, or, or rather, a lot of people have found this a
1: key. A lot of people. Not everybody.
0: So it's not, it's not a one key thing. It's not like you find it and you have the key. It's anybody can find this key.
1: Yeah. So that was the idea is that Halliday's game was supposed to be open for anybody. Anybody could win. The problem with there only being one key is at the end, in order to unlock the gate, you need all three keys. So if you have the first key, you won.
0: Right. Right? And I, and I get <laughs> that. But my my issue with there being unlimited number of keys, it, what stops me, the the douchebag that Holiday doesn't want to win, mm-hmm. from just watching somebody else win the first two keys, and then solving the third one on my own?
1: So, um, the book kind of goes into this a little bit. Um, IOI, Nolan Sorrento, um, mm-hmm. his ID is usually the first one on the scoreboard. Um, underneath, so... We didn't mention, basically there's this giant scoreboard that has, once people start getting keys and stuff like that, it has their avatar's name, it has a little symbol with which keys they have, and then it has their points or whatever. So as you get keys, you get points, you also get some money, so um, Wade or Parzival is able to kind of enhance his abilities and beef up his avatar a little bit once he ends up clearing this first key but basically in the book there's only so many people like the first three people to do it kind of get a bonus um so in the book he may get the first key but uh, I don't remember who gets the second one first. Um, I think like maybe Artemis might get it first. So technically she's higher than him because she has more points. Cause she got it first. There's more of like a point system. So yeah, you could just sit there and watch and then send everybody in, which is what I ends up doing. Right. As soon as they know how to get it, all of their people get the keys right. and then, okay. If Nolan figures out how to get the second key first, everybody from ILI is going to get that second key first. Right. But only the first so many people get bonuses and each bonus is a decreased value. So it's more of a point system that's kind of trying to deter you. Like you want you still want to be the first person to do it because
0: so you're going to get it,
1: more for doing it.
0: But is it the highest points win or is it whoever gets the Easter egg? I mean, if I have zero points or if I have one point, but I get all three keys and make it to the Easter egg first, do I not get it? Because I didn't have.
1: Yeah, that's true. If I think it was more supposed to be a. If there was a tie, it would come down to points. I mean, that's how video games work, right? right so
0: true, true high score. But.
1: But I mean, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, it's it's true. definitely not as much as important <laughs> on the in the movie. The movie, I think they show the scoreboard like twice, whereas in the book they're referencing it. Every like ten minutes because it's it's a it's constantly changing and that's how they're that's how they get their nickname the high five is because they're the top five scores on the scoreboard they're the high five gotcha that's that's a reference to later in the movie but
0: so they along with the first key they also get the clue to the second key and the second key is a little more bizarre because Mm -hmm. uh they they go back to the museum, and Artemis solves the, the clue on this one, where she figures out that Holiday actually had gone on a date with his longtime business partner's eventual wife. And this uh, his business partner is played by uh, Simon Pegg.
1: Simon Pegg.
0: Pretty famous actor, um, probably most notably for, um, oh, God, I can't think of the movie now, The Walking Dead one. The Dead. What is it? No,
1: sorry, I, I said Shaun of the Dead. I said Shaun of, of the Dead. Dead. Thank you. Of I, kept, Dead.
0: I kept saying it while walking. Okay, so he mostly has for Shaun of the Dead, not not at all. Kind of what he's not good in this role. Not good in this role. He's not in the movie very often. Thank God. Uh, from what I've read, the character in the book is described as kind of looking like Santa Claus. Yep. And Simon Pegg does not look like Santa Claus. Uh, I wouldn't.
1: By what the book says, because I mean, our main character is supposed to be a pudgy high school kid. True. An overweight high school kid is what he's supposed to be.
0: Yeah. And Ty, Ty Sheridan is not an overweight anything. Um, so, but regardless, so, so Holiday's business partner ends up marrying a girl that Holiday went on a date with. And throughout the course of this, this memory, Holiday mentions that she wanted to go dancing. And instead of going dancing, they went to the movies.
1: We went to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's to reference. Like, Halliday is not. He's socially awkward. He he never has a girlfriend. He never really takes that next step with anybody. He doesn't have a lot of friends. um, And he's. Yeah, he's definitely socially awkward. And so instead of going dancing, which might be a normal date. He's like, movies, that's all I can handle.
0: Right, but what's even more socially awkward is that this scene hints at the fact that he basically falls in love with her on this one date and regrets never going for the, the end-of-the-night kiss because mm-hmm. she eventually goes on to marry, of all people, his business partner. So they decide they're going to go to this club uh, the holiday, you know, put together and, you know, there's this like zero gravity type dance thing and they're going to try to, you know, jump, make this final jump, this leap, if you will, uh, which was the leap he never took in kissing her. It doesn't work. It, it does not work. And instead, the IOI people show up and attempt to basically kill their avatar in hopes that they would lose the key, I'm thinking, right? Because they, they lose all their gear.
1: Yeah, so basically, once you're zeroed out, once you die, you have to start over. So basically, they would have to, you would have to earn enough money in the the Oasis again, starting from zero, to then buy a car, to then have enough money for fuel, to then win the key again. And then, like, I I think they just wanted to kill him to get him off the board to start him back over. Like, hopefully we have enough of a head start that we can continue
0: on so there's two main side stories that I want to talk about real quick and I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time on them because they're really not important to the overall story the uh, the one side story is wade at one point has used his mother his aunt excuse me his parents his parents passed away and he lives with his aunt he uses mm-hmm. his aunt's glove like like vr glove to get in the oasis yep. her boyfriend freaks out and the, the three of them have this kind of like ultimatum where, you know, Wade's got to carry his Wade or some bullshit or she's going to kick him out. Uh, ultimately, it doesn't amount to anything. And at one point, actually it, it, coming up, they figure out what uh, Wade, well, Par, uh, Parzival's real name is Wade. They track him down in the real world and they blow up his trailer yeah. tower. Yeah, his yeah. stack. Yeah. Thereby killing his aunt and her boyfriend. That's it. That's the entire side story. It amounts to nothing. You really, in my opinion, you don't even really care because both his aunt and the boyfriend were kind of assholes anyway. Mm-hmm. It just it shows you the extent the IOI would go to in order to yeah. get these keys.
1: It's now Nolan Sorrento has committed murder. <laughs> is what that's honestly that's what it's supposed to do in the movie is show that he has he didn't personally push the button or well, he did in the book, but he has, (laughs) he has killed all of these people. And to dive into the stacks a little bit more in the book, it goes into the fact that there are usually 12 to 15 trailers, literally stacked on top of each other, going into the scene that you were talking about earlier. He has Mm -hmm. to climb down. He uses the, the boxing bag, like the, all of that stuff to get down. Um, in the book, it talks about, you You see in the movie, the tiny little trailer that he and his aunt and his aunt's boyfriend live in. Mm-hmm. 12 people live in that trailer total. And they all pay rent to his aunt. And he lives on top, he sleeps on top of the washer and dryer. Like, that's his little corner. But it's meant to be like, life has gotten so hard, everything is so expensive that they literally have 12 people living in this one little trailer in order for her to afford to live. And Ooh. the desperation for her boyfriend being like, You used her gloves. I was forced to use your gloves. I lost. And the problem with him losing and him zeroing out his character is he has invested all of his and his and Wade's aunt, Alice's money. Mm -hmm. That they were saving for a house. He invested this all into like power-ups and armor for his character. He's literally lost all of their real-world money in the Oasis. So now they are even more worse off than they were. And that's basically how people are living now. Is that they're blowing all of their money in this fake world.
0: Number one. In the movie, it only shows the three of them. So they should have put more emphasis on the other people. Number two. If you're sharing a trailer with 12 people and you get the bed on top of the washer and dryer, not the worst spot. That's all I'm saying. Not the worst spot. That's
1: fair. He said it was warm.
0: You turn that dryer on. It's warm. warm. You get a nice little shake. It's like being in the car. I always fall asleep in the car. unless I'm driving. Sometimes while I'm driving. But that's neither here nor there. Number three, in the movie, the aunt's not even mad at the boyfriend. The aunt yells at him, Mm -hmm. which is insane.
1: The aunt is very much supposed to be, like, money-hungry and basically has Wade because in, in the book they get meal vouchers and she takes them all. And he, like, finds food or, the, like, he basically fends for himself. So he's there Just for, for income from his yeah. aunt. Yeah. he that, And that's the only reason he's there. He's not... Again, they don't really do a whole lot to kind of dive into that in the movie which again it's a two and a half hour movie right. they didn't really have time for that so right it, it, it's more devastating when you hear that he blew up the stacks and the stacks are so close together that they tend to topple onto other ones as well one if one falls so it's more of a domino effect so it's not, it's it's a I mean it's a big deal in the movie you just blew up 12 trailers. Right, but it's also like in the in the book, it's supposed to be this huge thing, and you kind of almost feel more for um, that older woman when he's down on the ground. Um, I can't think of her name in the movie. Um, it, it's literally she has a two second conversation with him, like uh, the world getting you down or something. Like it's right. it's just literally this little old woman who's watering your plants. In the book, he has a better relationship with that woman than his aunt. He will sometimes stay with this woman. He She'll feed him in the morning sometimes before he goes to school. And basically, she just has somebody to talk to. Because Wade sits there and listens because she's giving him information about the 80s and 90s, which is helping him on his hunt because it's information basically about the time frame that Halliday is obsessed with. Makes um, sense. So you you almost feel more for that older woman than you do for his family. Like you're like, whatever, they died. Cool, whatever. <laughs> and you're like, the old lady, no, he liked her.
0: So there's a there's a second side story as well, where holiday or excuse me, not holiday, um, Sorrento in the Oasis hires basically a hitman, right. a, a, an avatar by the name of I Rock. Played by uh, T.J. Miller, and very very comedic. Uh, he has some good one-liners in the movie, but they you're first introduced to rock because rock brings um, Sorrento this orb. Uh, it's some level ninety-nine, you know, crazy spell orb that uh, Sorrento has basically you know paid him to go find. He finds it and kills the original owner and takes it, but. Upon this exchange, Sorrento says, I also need you to go find this uh Parzival. Kid. <laughs> Correct, this kid. And Rock is the one that finds out his real name. And that's really the extent of this character's uh expansion in the movie. Is he's kind of the hitman, he finds out who Wade is and provides a little bit of comic relief. That's that's it. Is that safe to say?
1: He... He does Sorrento's dirty work, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. is and, he
0: is he more of a character in the in the book?
1: I was gonna say I'm gonna I'm just gonna reference the book again because apparently that's what I do. <laughs> um, so in the book, he Iraq is kind of that one upper. Um, he's the kid who I, I actually don't know if it tells you how old he is in the book, but he seems to be just a little bit older than Wade, who, again, is in high school in the books. Um, he is always hanging out in the basement, which is H's chat room in the books. So you kind of see in the movie, um, H has his workshop. Um, in the books, he's more known for his, his uh, private chat room that's invite-only, and it's uh, a direct replica of Halliday's basement growing up. So it's kind of this nerd-like hangout. and I rock, originally went to school with H or somehow got an invite and basically will hang out and try and show off his holiday knowledge. And basically H and Artemis or excuse me, H and um, Parzival are like, you're basically regurgitating information that you heard other people say, like you're not not going out and finding new things. You're just riding everybody's coattails. So he's basically just the one upper and he in the books is, Kind of the person who blows up Parsable and H's spot, um, they kind of are able to keep a lower profile in the books for a little bit longer until until I Rock is like, oh hey, I know them, I'm friends with them. This is where the first key must be because hey, they're in high school. Like he kind of does them in right. and gets IOIs and uh, attention on them. So he's not necessarily hand in hand with Sorrento in the books, but he's definitely one of the, he's definitely a catalyst for getting the rest of the world involved in the, uh, the hunt for the egg and kind of getting them some insider information. So he's not really meant to be a, a huge character, but he's definitely somebody who gets the ball rolling for sure. I, I don't see him as being as cool in the books. Right, he, he seems to be the person who puts more money into everything. Like he gets to where he is because of he invested it. Like he invested money into it. He paid for it rather than like he did the background. He did the legwork.
0: Right, because in the in sense? the movie, he's got a pretty a pretty legit he's avatar. Loaded. Yeah, he's got yeah. a ton of money. It's clear that he's like a a hired gun, and he's yeah. got a really cool avatar. Um, but he does seem like kind of a goofball. So.
1: Hey, come take a seat at the campfire. You're not the only one who joins. I've got friends that come over sometimes, too. We talk about a ton of interesting things from geek culture. Then we cover some conspiracies or philosophical thoughts or monsters. You know, we talked about Bigfoot in one episode. It's a lot of fun, so come join me at the campfire chats. A DFAT entertainment podcast hosted on Spotify and other fine places you find podcasts.
0: So IOI has this shootout. They don't end up actually getting Wade or Artemis. And once the stack gets destroyed in the real world, Artemis finds Wade. And in the real world, they meet. Uh, it's very clear there's some attraction on both sides. And they they have this... Artemis has this moment of clarity of, of course, it wasn't the dance floor. Or they're going dancing because that's not what they wound up doing. They wound up going to the movies, and they figure mm-hmm. out the movie they went to go see was The Shining. So Artemis, what
1: great date uh, movie?
0: Great date movie, awesome. Jack Nicholson at his finest. Uh, <laughs> Artemis, Perel's. Parals- I'm going to Parzival.
1: Parzival. You. Call him Wade.
0: Wade H. Uh, Show, which is another friend of theirs, who's like a. a Crazy Ninja and Daito, which is a samurai, another friend of theirs, the five, the, the high five, they go to the shining and they locate the second key. And Basically, what
1: they have to do is they have to play through the movie.
0: Which is insane. H has some great, some great humor in this in this scene.
1: H doesn't like scary movies.
0: He does not like scary movies, which is great. And uh, th- so they, they find the second key, and now it's down to the last one, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow the the last key gets solved by somebody else. IOI gets wind of it first, and essentially it is in this giant fortress. In the basement, yep. there is an arcade, an old Atari, and you've got to play the right Atari game to get the third key. That's, that's kind of what they've surmised. So not even lo-
1: play the right.
0: Well, so that's Atari what they game. think. They think you gotta, you got to pick the right Atari game, you got to you know, beat it to the end, and you'll get the, the third key. So Sorrento takes this orb that he got from IROC, and he uses the orb to basically put a shield around the fortress so nobody can get in. Nobody. So while this shield is up, IOI has all their Sixers basically going through and picking the different games on the Atari. And every time they get about a minute into the game, the player dies. Mm -hmm. And they can't go any further. The avatar dies. The the avatar dies. Not the not the actual Atari game. So then they go to the next one and it dies and so on. So they have all these people in the real world trying to figure out what game holiday would have made, you know, made it be the third key or whatever.
1: So the they don't I don't think they say it in the movie, but all of basically IOI has a division of people who job is literally just to know facts about the 80s and 90s. Like they their job is pop culture references. Right. Um something I think Casey would be perfect at this job. <laughs> Absolutely. Um uh, but so they're called Oologists, which basically they study the hunt for the egg is how they get the name Oologists. But yeah, it, it's it's literally a room full of specialists and uh, like They're cheating. They're still cheating.
0: (laughs) Is the is the second key the same in the book?
1: No, nope, not at all. Um, So, like I was saying, the each key has its own gate as well. Um, So the first key is you find that dungeon, which so the first key he finds a cave which looks like the front of a D and D module, an old D and D module. Sounds amazing. Um. So he goes in there and he has to beat this guy and joust. Um, And then he has to find the gate, which is on a planet, which is all replicas of Halliday's hometown called Middletown. Basically, the book is more centric on Halliday's childhood because in the book, Halliday, Ogden Morrow, and Kara. Kara?
0: This is the, the partner and the wife.
1: Yeah, her avatar's name is Kira.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's I think it was Kara. Um, anyways, she um, she was a foreign exchange student who came to their high school. She's from England, so she stays with Og. No, I don't know. Anyways, she joins. She's friends with them in high school. Um, they end up having a D and D group, and so on and so forth. That's how they meet. Cool. So uh the, the first gate is they have to go to Middletown and you have to find a a specific game on Halliday's computer and you have to play and whatever, whatever. Um now trying to remember what the second one is and I don't remember.
0: <laughs> That's fine. So while while you're while you're looking that up. Uh oh, so this, oh god. I don't
1: remember. Uh, did you ever play the game Zork? The I game? did. I did play that game. So the, uh, yeah, they have to play Zork. You have to play through Zork and you have to find, um, basically each clue is a different poem. Uh, so the second poem is, the captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling not long, le- I can't talk now, in a dwelling long neglected but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are collected. So basically it's saying you have to go to a neglected house, which the first Zork is a house tattered and torn. And uh, you have to collect all of the trophies, which is part of Zork. So he has to play through the game. And then there's a whistle in a captain crunch box in a cabinet that he blows and whatever, whatever. Um, But there is another gate in addition to that and it, it just keeps going and all of this stuff and
0: sounds our, like a lot
1: book so, I, like, <laughs> I, I know you haven't told me if you like the movie or not but the book is just so it, it deep dives into so many different corners of pop culture i i, I keep saying <laughs> same things over and over again but it's just so you're good. amazed
0: and, you're amazed by by the book. Yeah.
1: And I think it's so funny because I know, again, you and I have talked about this on other occasions. Nothing against it, but you and I are from a little bit different eras.
0: What, what are you much. trying to say? What are you trying to say?
1: You're slightly older than I am. <laughs> and I will say Yes. Know, months,
0: months, maybe. Days, even.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of our references in our pop culture overlaps but this movie it's all 80s and I was I was born in 91 so I got a lot of these and I got a lot of 80s references just growing up from my parents but this is all of these references are 80s so it was very much to me geared towards people who are just a little bit older than me so the fact that I loved this movie and I loved this book so much kind of is baffling to me because I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> I remember playing like one of the like one of the sequels to Zork at a friend's house. I was just watching her cousin play it. But I'm like, oh yeah, Zork. Maybe I kind of remember that one. Um another thing that they do in the books, um like so in the movie they have to go through the shining. The book they have to go through um they go through other movies and he basically has to sit. he has to act out the whole movie like he is a character and he has to get all of the lines correct he has to act out like the inflection in his voice has to be the same and like he has to play he has to play through these movies um and they're all 80s movies That just reminds me
0: That just reminds me of the really hard levels in video games that you're like how nobody's gonna beat this this is insane why would you make a level this hard so Sorrento has this this shield around. Oh, <laughs> Sorrento has this shield around the the fortress. The IOI Sixers are desperately trying to figure out the game. Wade shows up, and he puts out this calling to to basically everybody in the Oasis, and explains to them what IOI is doing. They've locked us out. This is this is not right. These corporate a holes are gonna. Freaking take over the Oasis And if you like the Oasis the way it is Come join me and come fight Against this Okay. Uh, hey, also,
1: My real name is Wade Watts And Sorrento blew up my home
0: Right, it committed murder And then The side thing that's happening is Artemis is captured in the real world She owes a ton of money IOI has Bought up her debt and essentially Imprisoned her Into these debt camps where they have to work off their debt in the oasis. So she is inside this fortress as a sixer and...
1: She's an indentured servant.
0: She's an indentured, which is insane because the real world has police in it. Mm -hmm. There's police officers that exist in the real world. We see them later in the movie. But yet Mm -hmm. somehow Artemis is literally chained... Inside of a VR cube and forced to work, which is how is this legal?
1: So basically, IOI has bought their debt, they pay off their debt. So now you owe IOI. So you have to work off, you are an indentured servant. You have to now work off your original debt. They will then house you and feed you. So they charge you costs for that. So you have to. Pay them back for that,
0: but how? How can they? How can they literally lock you, like, physically put cuffs on you and prevent you from leaving? So this is America.
1: Yeah,
0: ridiculous. So, but anyway, so you say this, it
1: like this is <laughs> you would like this could never happen.
0: I mean, I would hope. I would hope this can't happen, but that's that's a whole. She takes, podcast. The cuffs. She
1: takes that, the cuffs off, um, and. It says, like the little machine she's hooked up to says, you got, you got oh, ten you're got on minutes. a 10-minute bathroom break. <laughs>
0: well, Then why put on cuffs? I guess, I don't know, either way, either way. So everybody and their mom in the Oasis shows up to, to essentially do war against IOI, and Artemis on the inside manages to get this shield generator orb to turn off, and it is an all-out brawl. There is the Sixers on one side, led by Sorrento, who has this Megazord, you know, uh, Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mech Mech Godzilla. And on the other side is the Oasis people, uh, led by the High Fives, as well as H, who has the Iron Giant, um, literally the Disney Iron Giant from the movie, as their giant Mech, which in the book... I'm told, was Ultraman, but they could not get the rights for the movie.
1: In the book, they all have their own... That was one of the gates they got as a reward. Everybody got to pick a giant robot. So, yes, one was Ultraman. One, uh, Sorrento's, was Mechagodzilla. There there was... Um. I can't even remember. There was a lot of, like, um, Japanese-style characters. That right,
0: yeah. Liked. The And they, they, they mentioned that there actually is one that shows up in the movies. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with a lot of anime, so forgive me, listeners, for not knowing who the hell that is. Uh, a lot of the references in the book... Don't actually. Despite the fact that there's a million and a half references in the movie, a lot of them from the book don't make it to the movies, and the reason for that is because Stil, uh, Spielberg. <laughs> well, licensing is a big one, but he he managed to get a lot of the ones that he said were quote were on his wish list. But Spielberg Spielberg himself removed a lot of references to his own movies because he did not well. want to be accused of having this as a vanity project. Uh, With the exception of, you know, Back to the Future's DeLorean is still in the movie. He wasn't a director on that. He was the producer. And obviously we still get the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Um, Surprisingly enough, there is apparently, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but the internet tells me there's a big reference in the book to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is a Spielberg movie. And he did want to include that, uh, but Columbia Pictures would not give him the rights to include that, which I thought was kind of funny that... He couldn't even get the rights to his own movie. Um, But that's neither here nor there. This battle happens. During this battle, Wade manages to get on the inside. He gets to the video game. Sorrento essentially pulls out this bomb that is going to kill everybody. Everybody. And the entire planet. Not in the real world, but in in the VR planet. It's
1: it's anything in that world
0: Right So we did skip over one important part Uh, If we rewind uh, Towards the beginning of the movie When uh, Wade is in this museum This Halloway museum There is this curator In the museum Who appears to be an AI And he makes Some sort of bet With this AI That he knows something That the AI sure is wrong about uh, Halloway, Wade winds up being right, and the curator tosses him a quarter.
1: It's important what he gets right. He is referencing, this is back to when they were trying to figure out the second key. He shows Artemis a memory of um, Og and um, Halliday cleaning up after a party, and this is when they're talking about Kira. Uh, no. I'm lying to you.
0: I think this is when they're talking about. Oh, no, no,
1: no. I I got him confused. But anyways, basically, the idea is that, um, Parzival tells the curator, like, this is the only time that Kira is referenced anywhere in this library. They never talk about her again. And, um, the curator is like, that's impossible. You know, she's really important to Halliday and to Ogdemarro. Uh, you're wrong. And, um, Arzival is like, I'll, I'll bet you all my coin. Like, no, this is the only time. So while they're watching the memory, the curator's off in the background trying to search it, and the curator's like, okay, you're right. You, you, uh, you knew something I didn't. Here's a quarter. Right. will let you take it from there.
0: So Sorrento pulls out this bomb. It destroys everybody, wipes out everybody. Everybody loses their coin, their keys, everything. Fade to black, movie's over. No, I'm kidding. Wade (laughs) winds up basically crawling out of nothingness and being left alive because the quarter was actually an extra life. So now he's alone and he's playing this game. And he realizes that it's not about winning this Atari game. It's about finding the Easter egg in the Atari game because this Atari game was the first ever Easter egg where the creators of the game actually hid something in a secret room, yada, yada, yada. He finds the Easter egg, finds the third key, unlocks the door, gets uh, Halliday's Easter egg, and essentially wins the whole thing. Okay. This would have been the conclusion to a very good movie. It probably would have wrapped up right around two hours, but had a nice little bow on it. But instead, the movie continues on for another 20 minutes. And we're (laughs) now in the real world. And I'm going to let you take over from here because spoiler alert, this is where I think this movie goes from. Really good Mm -hmm. to mildly good because it just doesn't know when to stop.
1: So basically, as Wade is getting the Easter egg, he knows he's won. Um, This whole time, this whole battle is taking place. In the real world, Wade is driving around in a truck. They're mobile. And he's still trying to do things in the uh, Oasis.
0: They're in H's van. Uh yes. Which, quick yep. quick point, there's artwork on the back of the van of a demon, which mm-hmm. is a reference to an adventure mod included in the book that they did not have time to do in the movie.
1: I don't remember that, but okay. Anyways. um Basically... In the Oasis, Wade is handed the Easter egg, which is literally this glowing golden egg. And in the real world, at the exact same time, Sorrento opens the back hatch of this van and can see it all happening. And this is all taking place right in front of where the stacks were. He's got everybody in the real world kind of trying to help Wade out. And um, Sorrento is basically threatening to shoot everybody to get to Wade. He opens up the back sees that he's failed because Wade has won. He has the egg, and basically Sorrento is defeated. Police show up, arrest Sorrento. He's gone, whatever, whatever. Ogden Morrow stops in, opens up the back hatch, and is like, hey, maybe you should come out here. Some people want to meet you. Wade is like, cool, whatever. I'll be out there in a minute. And he closes the back hatch of the van um, because he wants to kiss Artemis.
0: So, so Which is quick, where I
1: think you don't like this.
0: Quick, quick point of reference. Yeah. Uh, so Sorrento is uh-huh. trying to get to Wade. He has a handgun. He mm-hmm. is surrounded by about three hundred people from the stacks, and somehow manages to keep them away with a single handgun. Yeah. Second point of reference: Og shows up while Wade is still in the back of the van, having just won the Easter egg maybe five minutes ago. How the hell Og shows up out of nowhere? I'm, I'm sure he doesn't live in the stacks But that's neither here nor so there he Please continue. continue
1: So what they do again I'm going to reference the books What they do in the books is um, it It's not exactly the same But basically after The first and second key Everybody's tracking Parzival Everybody's tracking the high five They're trying to keep all of this information Or they're trying to keep eyes on him And Og has more information than your general public player would. So he kind of has a little bit more insight onto who Parzival is and where he is and stuff like that. So he has a little bit more... Him getting to him... He also has all of the money in the world. Yes, yeah. He also has, like, all of the money in the world because he helps sell this
0: That's another confusing thing to me. So in the movie, I kind of get the impression that Og and Holiday start the Oasis, but at some point in time, Holiday cuts him out. In fact, it's one of his biggest regrets is essentially removing Og from the company and kicking him out. But yet somehow towards the end, you also get the impression that not only is Og very wealthy... Uh, still alive, which I thought was clever because they don't ever reference Og being dead, but you do kind of get the sense that he is, uh, only because he's not really in the movie and Holiday's gone. So, But regardless, um, not only is he still extremely wealthy, but that him and Halliday were friends up until the very end and even maybe beyond that, that somehow Og might have even been involved in the Easter egg type thing, maybe not directly, but that he he had some inside information. So can you kind of talk about how that is in the book?
1: Sure. So in the book, um, they were very, very close friends until about 10 years before um, Halliday's death. They had not spoken for about 10 years. Um, he basically told Og, this is what I'm doing. I'm not giving you any information on it. So he didn't know where the keys were, where the gates were, any clues about anything. He really had no idea, and he was living it and experiencing it as everybody else was. Maybe he had a little bit better idea because he grew up with Helene, But he is very adamant that they had not spoken in 10 years. They had a major falling out, and he does not talk about what the falling out was. Um, So it's... They definitely um did split ways, but I think there was just a mutual understanding at the end that that's Halliday's only friend. Even if they weren't friends mm-hmm. anymore, that's the only person he ever really had, the closest person he ever had.
0: I think they and, could have um, done a better job kind of clarifying that in
1: the movie. Yeah. Yep. They definitely that was definitely something that I felt lacked a lot. Um and I think it ends up being more so because I have info from the book and watching the movie, I took it as the don't mind the fact that I just knocked my cat off my desk <laughs> if you could hear that rustling in the background um, to me the what the movie was trying to do was show that Og was more focused on the real world, where Halliday was more focused on the oasis, and when Og had things happening in the real world and it was taking attention away from the Oasis. Halliday was like, okay, well, I, this is my baby. Like, you're out. Mm-hmm. And that's how it came across to me. Now, I don't know if that's really what it was supposed to, but that's how I took it. Um, in the in the book, like I said, they, they did work together. They did um, put out the Oasis together. They still continued to develop other things. I think Og had a little bit less to do with it, but his wife, Kira, was also uh, involved in the oasis and coding in the oasis and she did a lot of the artwork um and stuff like that they go into a lot more about kira in the second book um so i'm trying to remember what info i got from where without trying to give too much yeah, away so
0: so let's not let's not go too much further into that because i want to talk a little bit about yeah, that no. second book in a little while but so sure. so continue on with what happened so og shows up
1: Oh, so Og shows up basically like, hey, these lawyers over here, like, you know, you just inherited the Oasis. Maybe you should, like, come talk to these people. Whatever. Um, part of, or Wade closes the door so that way he's able to kiss Artemis because to him, the whole thing, like, Halliday was too wrapped up in the Oasis, didn't get to focus on the real world. He wasn't going to make that same mistake and miss out on having personal relationships with other people, including Artemis. So he kisses Artemis. And I think the part that you probably don't like is the after-the-fact.
0: DFAT Comics is the publishing branch of Don'tForgetATowel.com, the only place to travel geekly. Focusing on creator-owned and independent titles like Hollowed, Pursuit of Plastic, and Fairy, and many more. DFAT Comics will be a mix of genres appealing to every kind of reader. Join the new source of comic book entertainment with dfat
1: comics um, when it shows like him in his own little like penthouse type thing well,
0: yeah not not just that but he, he like closes the oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays or so, some yeah, too so obscure.
1: He, the the idea is that you're supposed to get the takeaway that the Oasis has taken over everybody's life. And that's not necessarily what Halliday wanted it to be. He wanted it to be an escape, but he wanted it to help people not to all consume everything. Mm -hmm. And the, the world is going to shit, as you said. And I think he took that having the power over the Oasis. I think Wade kind of took that and kind of, wrapped in Samantha or Artemis's idea that, hey, Wade, you don't live in the real world. You only live in the Oasis, and that's a bad thing. So I think he took it upon himself to make sure that there's days during the week that you can't escape into the Oasis. Like, you have to live your real life, and you have to be focused on what's really going on in the world. And I think that was him trying to use his power for some more good. And I took that as, he was doing it because of Artemis, because of Samantha.
0: Yeah, to a certain because extent.
1: Because of it, and because it was kind of a tainted idea from Halliday.
0: Yeah, so I like, mean I, I more or less agree with that. I I, I do so uh, quick question before we go any further. How how mm-hmm. big is Blade Runner in the book?
1: <laughs> uh there's a whole gate about it.
0: So Uh, The the Blade Runner storyline and references were scrapped out of the movie uh, due to the fact that Blade Runner 2047 or 2049, rather, was in production at the same time as Ready Player One. And they didn't want to, I guess, confuse uh, viewers or or have this kind of overlap. But it is it is a whole like thing in the book, correct?
1: In. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of the gates Um, he has to go through and it's one of those movies that he has to play through a little bit Um, and yeah, there's definitely reference to it. I'm trying to remember because I I, I haven't seen that movie, either of those movies, Blade Runner or I'm not,
0: yeah. I'm not surprised. Anybody who's a long time listener should know, <laughs> know that Lauren is not the movie person in the group. I am, thank God. Um, <laughs> So one of the other interesting things I found about uh, in, in the in the areas of the internet uh, Christopher Nolan was actually considered For the director on this movie Before Steven Spielberg uh, Obviously when Steven Spielberg gets attached You bump anybody But I think it would be a very different movie If Christopher Nolan was the director and, and that I would be interested in seeing that Ready Player One as well um, One of the cool pieces of technology For this movie is that Because so much of the movie takes place in the Oasis Steven Spielberg was actually Able to direct in vr he talks in several interviews about he could literally put on a vr headset and walk through the oasis and determine where exactly he wanted to put his quote-unquote camera to get the best angles on the um uh, avatars and stuff like that which is something i've never heard of before and sounds pretty wild in my opinion
1: i cannot imagine what they're cgi budget
0: was oh my god that's i mean again that's got to be a large chunk of the 175 million budget but um this is kind of a mute point seeing as we both i think know each other's perspective on this movie but before we get into answering was this a good movie (laughs) let's go into our three questions Uh, so, question number never,
1: one. Why, why am I never prepared for these?
0: <laughs> Surprise. <Okay>. Uh, <laughs> question number one. What was the message of the film, and do you agree with it?
1: So, my takeaway from... Cause I'm, I'm going to have a problem of film versus book. I really think it's supposed to be about the idea of... Living in the now. Um, I think a, a, a main point of this movie and book is showing the obsession, and I, I will call it an obsession, that Halliday had with this specific time frame of the 80s and 90s. And um, he, it's actually said that he would go around firing people if he tried to make a reference and they didn't understand it. Like, that's how, that's how. Deep seated his love of this this time was to him, and that he made sure that everyone around him also either supported that or at least understood it. Um, so for me, it was a lot of living in the here and now, and making sure you um, you, you took advantage of that time. So he, he the idea of actual time, and in reality, instead of living in this virtual reality world as well he doesn't sound
0: like that great of a guy in the book he sounds like uh, a nut job
1: asshole he's an asshole and i the movie they made him a lot more just socially awkward mm-hmm. which he he is in the book but there's more self-centeredness um and i i don't know if they did it on purpose if, if he did it on purpose in the books to make him That way, or if he was just overemphasizing his awkwardness and it came off like douchey, but yeah, he definitely was not. He he wasn't a he wasn't a bad guy, but he wasn't a nice guy either. And it's just one of those. He was the smartest guy in the room, so did that go to his head, or is that just the way he was? Because he was that way as a kid too. Yeah.
0: Uh, okay. Question number two: How did the movie leave you feeling? And do you think this was intentional?
1: Wait, you didn't answer the question.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I no, I agree with you. I think the message of the film is definitely, uh, you know, live in the now, live in the real world. Don't try to escape all the time. And uh, because you know, you see, you see what happened with Holiday when he did that, and how it seems like it was one of his biggest regrets. So, so don't do that. And, and do I agree with it? Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent. I think it's it's a little too dreamy um, to sit there and say that, you know, everybody's got to live in the present and Carpe Diem and all this happy jazz because the idea, the very idea behind Carpe Diem is, you know, live every day like it's your last. But that insinuation is that there is no repercussions. Right. And there there is. There is repercussions to your actions. So um, it's a little too dreamy to me. But in in the general sense, I think – you should live in the now and you should take advantage of the people that are around you and and live in the moment and you know make sure that you can appreciate it make sure you can live without without as few regrets as possible
1: so to dive into that a little bit more real quick the um in the book um when when Artemis asks um uh, what he would do if he won if he won all that money um he basically said i'm gonna get a i'm gonna build a giant rocket ship and i'm going to have it self-sustaining and i'm gonna take all of my friends and we're gonna live on this ship and we're gonna leave the earth behind because it's fucked Sounds amazing (laughs) well, well so samantha's like you live in a dream world like way to just get like get all this money and then give up on everybody and he's like well what would you do and she's like well i would find a way to better the earth. I would find a way to make sure people aren't starving. I would find a way to try and give back. And like all of these people who are so poor, I would try and help them. And that's why I really think that um, the movie didn't really say that. But at the end when he was like, ah, we we closed the Oasis on these days, I feel like that was him trying to um, kind of take some of Samantha's ideas Mm-hmm. Um, Which is what he tries to do in the book a little bit more as well, um, so basically, one of those with great power comes great responsibility things is what Samantha's saying should happen and okay
0: i mean i'm I'm with it, I'm with it uh, so question number two, how did the movie leave you feeling, and do you think it was intentional?
1: uh well, it left me feeling like I wanted more. I mean, it was all wrapped up, but I always want, if I like the movie, I want more of it, so uh, it definitely did that, and I mean, if people, if they want you to want more, they want you to see their product, so I think it definitely did that on purpose, but um, I didn't mind the ending. I know you were not a fan, but to me, knowing more of why he did what he did, I'm, I'm trying to remember before I read the book, how it left me how it left me feeling um i just remember the overall idea of enjoying the film um i don't really remember how it the ending made me feel kind of though so fair,
0: fair enough uh for me it was more I, I didn't hate the ending i just think again when you get into a two hour and 20 minutes um i think spielberg got away with a lot more than your average director would because I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think Warner Brothers is letting your average director do two hours and twenty minutes. They're gonna say cut this down a little bit more. That's and in true. this sense, in this sense, I think it would have been beneficial. I think you could have hacked off, you know, ten or fifteen minutes in the last hour and and not missed a beat and, and, and it would have wrapped up a little bit faster and it would have let me feel a little bit better. But and I don't think that was intentional. I think Spielberg has gotten to the point I mean he was 71 when he directed this, and we can talk all we want about Spielberg and how amazing he is at the height of his career in the 80s and 90s with you know jurassic park yeah. and et and you know uh, back to the future again producer but regardless yeah. if you look at his is his filmography over the last 10 years it's it's not, not the same great. it's not no. as great and um i think this was just a a, a example of a well-known director getting away with more than your average director would have. And in my opinion, that hindered the film. It doesn't, it doesn't make it a bad film. Let, mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's get through the last question. What is the most okay. important sequence of the movie?
1: Oh. The most important sequence. I mean, I think the the most cinematic sequence and I think that the culmination of everything in the movie would have to be like the last battle to get into the fortress um, and kind of basically Wade's cry for help from everybody. Like, hey, this isn't just a fight from for me anymore. This isn't just me as the leader on the scoreboard trying to win all of these keys. This is hey, I need everybody's help. Otherwise, this thing that we love isn't going to be that anymore. Oh, like, basically, I, I need your help to get in. Otherwise, Sorrento and IOI are going to win and nobody wants that. So the fact that he calls upon everybody and uh, just everybody shows up, I think was very cool. And that leads to the whole major battle sequence at the very end. And you see you see all of these famous gunters fighting side by side with normal everyday people. And you see like, there's a sequence where they're like, I'm out of ammo. So like Joe Schmo in the corner is like, Hey, take my railgun," gun or Hey, take my, uh, I don't even remember what the other one was, but like basically just like throws them their stuff, which you've seen throughout the movie that these normal everyday people are putting their real world money into this, oasis and right. it's it it affects them on a much higher level than just like hey i put money into my Fortnite character or like wh- whatever you would <laughs> right. reference in today's world like this is them really trying to escape reality and investing into these avatars so the fact that they're just like here take my stuff to me like meant a lot so i thought that was very big
0: yeah i i i Liked that scene. I liked the final battle. Um, to me, the most important sequence has got to be when Wade goes to that holiday museum in the beginning and figures out the first clue. I mean, to get through that first race, it really mm-hmm. sets the movie into motion. And yeah. I think it's it's important because without that, you know, it's been five years since the original clue out. went out. Right. Um, yeah. so to me, that's the most important. So Look what! What are you? Is this a good movie? I think so. What are you? What are you giving it out of ten?
1: I'm giving this seven and a half, eight out of ten.
0: Okay, that's that's fair enough. I was this a good movie for me? Yeah, it's a good movie. I mean, I didn't I didn't dislike it. There are definitely things that I think could have been done a lot better. Um, and again, I think this is a, an example of Spielberg getting away with more than your average director would. What am I rating this? Seven, a, a okay. solid seven, maybe maybe six and a half, but, but six and a half to seven, definitely in that range. Um, it really depends on how much the nostalgia factor play, you know, pays off for you. If you're a yeah. hardcore 80s baby and you're eating that alive, you're going to rate this higher. But when it comes down to the overall just plot of the movie and how that flows and how that brings you in and not just the silly little references... I think, I think it doesn't pay off as much if you're not buying into all those references as much.
1: So you said that normally, if you watch a movie that was based off of a book or read the book, whatever, whichever one you do first is usually yeah. what you like more. I would challenge you to read this book.
0: I mean, judging by how you describe it, it definitely sounds like a book I would like to read. And I think it was on my, my list for a while because I've heard good things about it. Um, uh, you read the second one, Ready Player Two?
1: Yes, yes. How uh, is that? I listened to it. I've, again, I I've, I've very much enjoyed it. Um, I'm having a really hard time of separating the two because I, I listened to the first one a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the second one came out, I listened to the first one again and then immediately went into the second one. So I didn't really leave myself the time in between the two. Um, basically the second one takes place, obviously after the fact that the high five now control the Oasis and it's basically what they do after. And I was kind of like, well, what do they do after? Like you have everything, what are you going to do?
0: Everything's tied Um, up in a nice little bow. So what happens? Don't got to give me the, give me, give me the five, the five second version. Like what's the, what's the overall conflict?
1: Um, Wade doesn't know what to do after. Um. They come into some new technology, um, which triggers another video from Halliday, which leads them on another quest. Huh.
0: That's interesting. So Halliday's got these little, these little uh, videos, kind of triggering. Huh. Is this this? You think it's gonna be the last one? You think is it? Is there a cliffhanger on the end of the second one that's gonna lead into a third one? You think?
1: It's. Definitely I mean, I didn't think the first one had a cliffhanger, True. but they were able to do more. Um, I think the second one wraps up nicely as well. Um, but I mean there's still room for them to do more if they want, for sure.
0: So when asked about a sequel to the film, Ernest Klein, the the writer of mm-hmm. Ready Player 1 and 2, says, and I quote I think there's a good chance that if this one does well, Warner Brothers will make a sequel. I don't know if Steven Spielberg would want to drive back in because we he would know what he was getting into. He said that this is the third hardest film he's made out of dozens and dozens of movies. Co-star Olivia Cook and presumably the rest of the cast is contracted to sequels. Klein oh. wrote a book sequel titled Ready Player Two, which was released on November 24th, 2020. And on December 22nd, 2020, Klein announced that a sequel was in the early stages of development with Warner Bros. Okay. So right. that's, that's as of three or four months ago.
1: I will tell you the cure. Well, I'm has a larger role in the second one,
0: which is interesting. Cause I got to imagine, I don't know how it ends with the book, but in the movie, he's basically in jail. He's got to be. I mean he's committed murder at this point.
1: No, 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 no. that's Sorrento.
0: Oh, okay, By yeah, right.
1: uh, tomorrow. Simon Pegg. Simon. Would you he's... I, was,
0: I oh. was saying
1: because you don't like that casting choice,
0: Right right He right, has right. a
1: larger he has a larger role, but there's a lot more to do with their past, his and Halliday's past um, within it. So I don't know if they would just I mean, he wouldn't be a Santa-looking guy because he would be younger.
0: Right. And there's a
1: lot more to do with when they were kids. That's really how you know so much about like the fact that Kira was a exchange student and their high school life. Yeah.: so.
0: Interesting. Well, we'll have to wait and see on that. So um, uh, without further ado, let's play everybody's favorite game. Guess that tomato. So we're we're talking about 2018's Ready Player One. Um go ahead, Lauren. Give me your guess as to what Rotten Tomatoes rates this movie currently.
1: Well, I gave it a seven and a half or an eight. Um I'm gonna say seventy six.
0: All right. Uh, I'm now gonna tell you. What the um, what the critic score is the critic okay. score 437 critics have rated this movie as 72. I'm hmm. now okay. also going to give you three other movies that are within two points of this movie, according to Rotten Tomatoes. So, okay. movie number one, The King of Staten Island. Uh, we covered it in season one, it's Pete Davidson's biopic about his life coping with his mother's dating life after the passing of his father. Movie number two, Atomic Blonde, Charlize Theron's 2017 spy thriller, where she plays a sexy MI6 agent on a mission in the heart of East Berlin during the Cold War. Have you seen that? I have not, but I really it's want really to. good. I, I it I really looks like amazing. It. In fact, I might have actually seen it and just forgotten. I don't know. And movie number three, The Revenant. Revenant, excuse me. The real-life story of Hugh Glass and his epic journey to get revenge on the men that left him for dead, winning Leonardo DiCaprio his first Academy Award. So with that, do you want to change your guess?
1: No. I'm sticking with 76.
0: 76. Okay. Over 25,000 audience members rated Ready Player One, and they gave it... Seventy-seven. Yeah! You were off by one point. That's really close, though. I give you props for that. We got some reviews like "pure entertainment." Give Spielberg an easel to prop his sen- sentimental painting on, and all the colors of his palette to do so. Uh, one critic said, "I saw the film in IMAX, and a week later, I'm still waiting for the safe return of my optic nerves." So wasn't wasn't a big fan I, of that. but
1: I was like, was that a negative movie I'm <laughs> assuming? That
0: is. Turns out that treating the movies entirely as a jungle gym brings out Peter Pan's inner brat. He's made a movie for Lost Boys. I don't, that's, that sounds negative and positive. I don't even know how to feel I, about I that, say, that
1: That sounds negative, but at the same time, he just basically said it's a nostalgic movie. for kids like it's it's for your inner kid which is exactly what the movie that's all i've been saying (laughs) that's what the movie is for it pulls on those nostalgic heartstrings
0: so thank you so much for picking this movie uh i think this is a good one I, i enjoyed your take on it especially having read the book Uh, And I have kept you on the phone far too long. But before I let you go, it is a firm believer of the owners Don't Forget a Towel, that everybody geeks out on something, while it may not be movies and comic books, maybe it's VR headsets and taking over the world with alternate realities. But I got to ask you, Lauren, what is it that you are currently geeking out on right now?
1: Um, Two things. So uh, one is a little show called Winona Earp um which i know i've talked to you about in the past it is a sci-fi original show that's currently um trying to get its footing for a fifth season um and i'll wrap it up there basically it's a uh, cult cult classic show i'll say i don't even know if you can call it a cult classic since on right now but anyway it's a, it's a small it's a small following but a very passionate small following i I will
0: say based on talking to you i have added this to my watch list on netflix
1: um so what i was gonna say is that it's it's running its last six episodes right now or the last six episodes that sci-fi will be airing that's the caveat it's it's already been funded um they just basically need a platform to release it um and sci-fi has just basically said after the restructuring we're not um so they are on the last six episodes this is the second of six episodes this past friday that aired and after me ranting and raving about it i've had dana catch up on it and dana was actually able to watch it live this past friday which was huge for me um and then the other thing that i'm still geeking out on is showing my true geekiness um i've started watching the second campaign of critical role um which i have just become totally obsessed with um i find it very entertaining um and basically i will put it on i like to put stuff on in the background while i'm working um and because these are all voice actors uh i either can hear bits of characters that i know in them talking or i am just in awe of the dm matt mercer and how he can just change from voice to voice like the drop like he can do it in the same sentence. He can have a conversation with himself with different characters uh, and it's just insane to me. And uh I really enjoy the campaign and it makes me want to play uh some D&D myself. So
0: <laughs> I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Matt Mercer is definitely uh, a phenomenal DM and if you haven't got the chance, definitely check out his stuff on Critical Role. Um I, you should be geeking out on watching some of the movies that you have never seen. And for a long list of those, please check out those geeks. You know, if you want some more of Lauren and myself talking along with our two friends, Casey and Dave, but Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: There's always me saying like, Hey, I've never seen that one. Uh, guys don't hate me. I've never seen that movie.
0: I look, I look hey, forward. Uh,
1: Thank you for having me on. I mean, this, uh, this will definitely give me a chance. I think in the future, if you decide to have me back on, you should uh, maybe pick one of those movies I haven't seen and force me to watch it.
0: That's a uh, great idea. That's a, I'm like having you, you on. A- I, I'm putting it in the books right now. I'm having you on for season three's host pick, uh, our special okay. episode each season where I get to pick the movie, and I'm gonna make you watch one of these cult classics.
1: Yes. I love it. I'm excited. That's I'm it so, right there. <laughs> I'm not going to read the book that goes along with it, so I won't keep you on the phone for two hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Thank you so much, Lauren. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it was fun. See you again.
0: You've got Gutsy Media Podcast. Leave a message about any movies you've covered and maybe we'll add to the show. Thanks. Ready Player One for me is such a fantastic movie. It does not get the respect that it it deserves. It pays just the right amount of homage to all of the movies and all of the video game and pop culture that we went through in in the 80s and 90s. It balances that line between being overly done and not done
1: enough very well. And I even think that as we look forward into the video game society, it's going to be very predictive of how we are interacting with one another going forward.
0: You see it today. Ready Player One is a fantastic movie. It's a must watch for anybody who is between the ages of 30 and 45,
1: as well as any nerd that's out there today, uh, on Halo or whatever stupid games out there, uh, The Sims, whatever it is, got to watch it because it's exactly like how your life is going to be.